Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So tonight we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it's been quite some time since I was up here when we started this. It was almost, it's almost going to be a year. <clears throat> so I was going to do a recap of the last time. No other letter in the New Testament gives us a more practical picture of applying the Christian faith to day-to-day issues more than 1 Corinthians. They go through topics such as stewardship, career and calling, overcoming individual limitations, leadership and service, and developing of skills and abilities or gifts. There's one thing that brings all these things together, and that's love. Love is the purpose, means, and motivation and glory behind all work done in Christ. The Corinthians wanted to know as Christians how to act in matters of daily life and work. And Paul gives answers to Alpha's Corinthians, making it one of the most practical books in the New Testament. We as a church today should follow Paul's example. Many times there's never encouragement with correction and advice that is said here. Specifically, Paul thanks God for the grace which was given to you by Jesus Christ. Everything good in the Christians in Corinth came from God and by grace. Everything we have in our lives comes by grace. We don't deserve anything that God gives us. We don't even give we don't even deserve his grace, but he gives that to us because he wants a relationship with us. Paul Paul spends most of the letter rebuking sins and correcting what has which was done wrong. Yet he's still thankful for God's work in them. That's what we have to remember as Christians, that even though you and I sin and we may venture off the track, we just have to remember <clears throat> that God is doing a work in us and the Lord will be there every step of the way as we go through our Christian walk. God has chosen them to share Christ's life. Paul is pleading with them as an apostle called by God, so he has the authority to do so. So Paul is pleading with them to be unified as believers. And that's also something we have to remember as a body of Christ. When people come in here, if we're not unified in the same beliefs and if we're like, going at it or we're bickering one another, we, that's not a good witness. So we have to remember to be unified as believers. Paul also reminds the Christians at Corinth that God will keep their faith strong and he will do so until Christ returns. 
And then where I left off last time in verse 17, it says, Paul says that it's possible to preach the gospel in a way that makes it of no effect. If someone preaches the word and relies on worldly wisdom and tries to wow or dazzle the people they are teaching, it can make the gospel of no effect. And the title for this message today is Godly Wisdom versus Worldly Wisdom. And we have to remember that there are two ways that you could go. And it's up to you guys to decide which one you want to listen to. So that's where we left off last time. So if you want to, you're probably there already, but if you want to open the 1 Corinthians 1, we're going to be starting in verse 18. Now the rest of this chapter, Paul's going to discuss the wisdom and power of the cross. 1 Corinthians is about how to have unity in a divided church. Paul expresses that in what I just showed you from last time. Now we will go through what the basis of our unity is, which is the cross. Paul will show how God uses the message of the cross to show forth his wisdom and power. So picking up in verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. So as we uh, go back to 17 when it says that Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with, wisdom, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made no effect. Paul states here that it's possible to preach the gospel in a way that has no effect if it were presented with the wisdom of words. So the people perishing hear these worldly words and think it's foolish to believe that a message of the cross is reality. Paul makes it clear that there are two types of categories, the perishing and the saved. Everyone falls into one of these two categories. Paul writes that the perishing consider the word of the cross foolishness. Paul will use this form of word foolishness quite some time in these, in these verses. In the Greek, the word for foolish is moria. It appears sometimes here as adjective moros. From the Greek word, you probably can figure out the English word for that, and that's moron. <laughs> it, it resembles something that is ridiculous, ignorant, Stupid. If someone were to say to you, you moron, you probably would get insulted. And I don't blame you for that. But this is the very word that Paul uses here when he talks about people not believing in the cross. What Paul is saying here that most people consider the cross as moronic. The main reason for that is that the cross offends our pride. The word of the cross is that salvation is freely granted by God's grace, not human merit or intellect, 
Salvation is offered to all those who want it and believe. Everyone comes to God through faith, based upon the work of Jesus, and that offends man's pride. So that's how the unbeliever or perishing sees the cross, but us as Christians see it as the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God, and our victory and salvation and life can only be obtained through the cross. The cross is everything to Christians as it should be. Because without the cross, there will be no way that we could have been saved. And we talked about that a lot on Sunday with resurrection. I know with the sunrise and the message after that, it was all about what he did on the cross and rising for us and, and saving us for our sins. And without that being done on the cross, then none of us have any way of getting to salvation because there's no way of being saved without what he did on the cross. So going back to verse 19, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This quotation comes from Isaiah, and I'm going to read that, um, uh, Isaiah 29, 13 and 14. Therefore the Lord says, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among his people, a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. So Jerusalem knew how to talk, the church talk, but their hearts were far from God. You can't, you can't always tell a person's heart by what they say or do. Though God could really know you. God's the only one who really knows your heart. Sadly, we see, too, see this too often in the church. People come in on Sunday, act churchy, say the things that they feel are appropriate to say when they come in here. And they don't really believe in their heart about what they're hearing when they sit down and hear the word. How did their hearts get so far from God? They removed their hearts far from God. And what's so amazing is that people can remove God from their hearts, but God would never remove himself from, from you. So finishing that second part, in verse 14, again, it talks about following worldly wisdom. But it says, For the wisdom of the wise man shall perish, because Jerusalem's pride had led them to a spiritual blindness and hypocrisy. God will destroy the wisdom of their wise men. Their wise men promoted the pride that led to all these evils. So getting to, back to verse 20, it says, Where is the wise 
where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Paul is speaking of the philosopher, the religious scholar, and the debater. These are all perceived as professional experts. God has not simply regarded the wisdom of the world or shown it to be foolish. God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. So again, it's worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. Don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here. There's nothing against knowledge. God created us to investigate and gather knowledge about him and other things. The problem isn't with knowledge, but we need to recognize that our knowledge is limited. And that he loves to cut the wise and powerful down to size. Because we can't gather everything on our own without the help of Jesus. And it's good to investigate and it's good to have knowledge of, of all things Christ. But if you're not walking with him in your heart, and like I said at the beginning, it will have no effect. And when you preach the word and it's of no effect, there's something seriously wrong that you have to reevaluate because when you preach the word, it should always have some kind of effect on somebody. 21. For since the wisdom of God... For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Paul explains that God humbled the world by keeping those who are wise in their own eyes from knowing God. Paul says God was well pleased. Paul means that God was sovereign in his own purpose. God doesn't want to share his glory. His, he chooses a message that gives him the most glory possible. It says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praises to carved images. So he's saying here that he is not going to take a back seat to anything. We have to remember in our lives that nothing that we obtain or nothing that we gather in our lives are, are from anything else but the Lord. I mean, he's given us the gifts. He's given us the gifts to do our jobs and do them well. Yes, you have the ability he's you have the ability to do those and you could take some credit for being able to fulfill what he's called you to do. But he's the one who provided those opportunities that we could fulfill and be successful. Continuing with 22, 24. For Jews requested a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach 
Christ crucified, and the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. There's three things that are talked about in these verses that respond to the cross of Christ. A person can be stumbled, they can laugh, or they believe. And we're going to look at those right now. One, the Jews stumbled over the cross because most of them were looking for signs of power. They wanted God to prove himself to them. In a sense, they required God to submit to them before they would consider submitting to him. So because the Jews were looking for power and great glory, they stumbled at the weakness of the cross. How could somebody put their faith in an unemployed carpenter from Nazareth who died a shameful death of a common criminal? They looked for a Messiah who would come like a mighty conqueror and defeat all their enemies. He would then set up his kingdom and return from glory to the glory to Israel. This was the attitude of the Jews because their emphasis was on a miraculous sign and the cross appeared to be weakness in their eyes. They just cannot imagine a crucified Messiah. Now many people laugh at the cross. Paul identifies with the Greeks' quest for wisdom. They want God to fit into their minds before they let him fit into their lives. This was a response of the Greeks. The Greeks didn't practice the crucifixion. So when so they didn't have any problems like the Jews did. They looked to philosophy for the answer to the deepest problems in life. The notion of a hanging man on a cross to save the world is other is utter nonsense nonsense to them. To them, the cross was foolishness. They saw no wisdom in the cross and looked at the cross from a human point of view. If they seen it from God's point of view, they would they would have disregarded. They would have discerned the wisdom of God's great plan of salvation. So again, godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. Some people believe the power, some people believe the power of wisdom of the cross. Those who are, are called is the same as those who believe and us who are being saved. Part of, part of being called is being able to hear God's call and being open to it. And I know for me, I didn't want to think that this was God's call for me because I don't like being up here. I like being back there. I don't like being in front of people. I like doing what I do behind closed doors and that's what I like to do. But apparently God has a different plan and I'm all for fulfilling that because that's what I'm called to do and I want to be obedient to him.
So those who respond by God's grace are granted his wisdom and power. This is a simple message that everyone needs to hear and believe. The message of the cross is foolishness to the most intelligent and self-sufficient people in the world. But it is power. It is the power of God to those that believe, like you and me. Verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I had to read this like two and a half times because it's just amazing if you just really look at what it says. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That verse right there just like blows your head right off your body. This is a real wake-up call type of statement. Would it, would it be possible for God to be foolish and weak? If Paul is suggesting that at all, his foolishness and weakness could still overwhelm us. So even when he's weak, it's still stronger than man which is should be really humbling for us all, big time, because that's a powerful verse right there. 26, 29. <clears throat> for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many... Mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put into shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. But no flesh should glorify in his presence. So three times in these verses, 27 to 28, Paul writes, God has chosen. This is a biblical doctrine for election. These words mean exactly what they seem to mean. They are children by choice, never by accident. Ultimately, we do not become Christians because of an independent decision we have made. Rather, even an initial part of our becoming believers comes from a result of an inner call from God, rooted in his love and undeserved grace. Consider this for a minute. When the world throws a party... The beautiful people always are invited. And I know. But, you know, they rent and hire a security team to keep the ordinary people out. 
Only the in crowd makes it past the rope. But God does it differently. God chooses those who have nothing to brag about. God chooses people that no one would invite to the party. He includes those who would normally be excluded. He does this so that he can convert human values. And I guess, even though I'm beautiful, I guess that's why I'm up here. Because I have nothing to brag about. I have tried to (laughs) fight on occasion me being up here. But I know that, again, that's what the Lord has called me to do. He shames the wise, he shames the strong, and he reduces to nothing the things that are impressive to our world. Why does God do this? God chooses and despises so that no man or woman can boast before him. God is a jealous God and would not share his glory with anybody. God likes to shame those who are wise and strong. God uses God used trumpets to bring down the walls of Jericho. He reduced Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300 throughout the armies of Midian. And with a jawbone and a donkey, he enabled Samson to defeat a whole army. And Jesus fed over 5,000 with nothing more than a few loaves and fish. God does these types of miracles to humble humankind so that no one can take credit for anything. Truly, that is God's heart for you and me. He wants us to daily recognize that we have nothing to brag about before him. Rather, we are completely indebted to him. So 30 and 31, it says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So these finishing verses, it is by his doing, God's doing, that you are in Christ Jesus. He is both the source and the cause of the Corinthians' being in Christ. The believer is described as very very simply as one who is in Christ. And you can't be closer to anything than in it. And that's our position as born-again believers. And the believer is one with Christ. And the phrase, but by his doing, you are in Christ, explains the previous verse. If things that are not have now become something, it is due to God alone. The crucified Christ has become the manifestation of God's wisdom, which here refers to God's long-established plan 
for the world's salvation. In him, believers receive true wisdom, godly wisdom. So in that last verse, God says, We can boast, but we must boast in Christ. May our boast be not with what we do for Christ, but in what Christ does for us. When it comes to salvation, we contribute nothing but sin that makes it necessary for us to be saved. And God does the rest. The reason God does what he does is to demonstrate that he alone is a source of our salvation. If you think you are too small to be effective, I want to ensure you that Christ has you right where he wants you. If you feel average, weak, or foolish, God can still use you. Those people that he has used the most are those who have plenty of sin and weakness. And again, I guess that's why I'm up here. But I want to leave you with a closing scripture from Jeremiah, chapter 9, 23 and 24. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So I, I know for me, when it comes to godly wisdom, Versus worldly wisdom. I choose godly wisdom every single time. What's your choice going to be? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you. Let's turn around.